The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, About that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the son of man. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Happy New Year! <laughs> yes, this first Sunday of Advent marks the beginning of a new liturgical year. It kind of makes you want to sing Auld Lang Syne. Now, be honest. Does anyone here really know the words to that song? Should old acquaintance be forgot? Da, 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 da. Oh, wow. <laughs> you see, for years growing up, I thought the da-da-das were just part of the lyrics. I said, what was that? Like you, uh, I've spent many years rocking in New Year's Eve with Dick Clark, who broadcasted live from Times Square. Now, I've never actually spent New Year's in Times Square, but I grew up watching it on TV, battling snow and ice and freezing temperatures, not unlike many of you who fought to get to church here today. Dick would be there, counting down, narrating the excitement from the square. And the centerpiece of it all, that blazing ball of light, Sliding ever so slowly down the pole, counting those last 60 seconds of the year. Tens of thousands of people there in Times Square, millions more around the world, waiting for that moment when the ball will finally drop. Waiting. Waiting. Waiting for what? To flip the calendar, to enjoy those awkward moments of writing checks with the incorrect year on them, to watch as every staunch resolution fades into forgottenness or guilt. The countdown culminates in but one short, sweet moment of noise and confetti 
kisses and promises, hopes and memories. And then it passes. Yes, New Year's in Times Square and New Year's in Christ's church are quite different. They are literally two different ways of thinking about time. Imagine this. It is December 31st in Times Square. The weather is blustery and cold. Checking their watches, the anxious crowd notes that it is already midnight. The new year has come. And now it is that the waiting begins. After a few more moments, at a random time, somewhere after midnight, but before the dawn, the ball in all of its glory begins to drop, counting down those 60 seconds. It seems a bit odd, doesn't it? It's almost hard to imagine anybody actually doing that. I mean, what will they do when the countdown ends and the ball reaches the bottom? Will there be noise and confetti? Or will the square have emptied out? I mean, wouldn't people just grow tired of waiting around after midnight? It's cold. And they've stayed up. And it's late already. And they don't really know when this ball is going to drop for sure. It could be 12.05. It could be 4 a.m. This is the new year in our church. This is the moment in which we find ourselves today. Our new year begins with waiting. We flip our calendars today, not with fanfare, but awkwardly awaiting the coming of Christ. It's hard to get excited about waiting. Heck, it's hard to wait. We are collectively forgetting how to wait. There is actually a war on waiting going on. An assault on vigilant patience. It is a war with at least two fronts. On one side, we have the familiar struggle with amusement and pleasant diversion. We have all already been infiltrated. Our homes and our very pockets are filled with weapons of mass distraction. They offer us instant games and fun, angry birds and fruit ninjas, ESPN and reruns. When faced with waiting, we will try to fill every moment with a few more iotas of pleasure from our devices and our media. Recently, the supermarket at which I shop installed TVs in the checkout lines. Is waiting for a few moments really that unbearable in our day? Why do we feel that waiting is so unbearable? The other front to this war on waiting is a flank attack that emerges in the insidious pressure to maximize
productivity in every single moment. Smartphones, laptops, Googles, doodles, meetings on Skype, each assure that we stay on task. That every moment of every day can be filled with moving the project along and getting caught up. Technology isn't just to blame. Everything in our consumer culture and strong impulses within us tell us that we'll never really be ready for what's ahead. There's always more to do, a way to make it better, one little thing that should be done. As we plan for Christmas especially, we have to write the cards, go shopping for the extra stocking stuffer, bake the cookies, plan the trips. We have to make good use of our time. And thus, many times, each and every day, and especially in this busy holiday season, our very ability to just sit and wait erodes. Our patience fades. A moment without either playing or preparing is considered a wasted moment. To be clear, this is not a lament about the corruption or degradation of our society. Rather, I hope to make a much simpler point. Waiting is not time to kill. It is a time to hold open for God. It's not emptiness to be filled, but rather a moment of peaceful acceptance of what is to come. It may feel like echoing silence or awkward wasting of our precious resources of time and effort. But it is nevertheless where God wants to meet us. This is exactly the definition of waiting. To anticipate an event in the future that will give meaning to the present moment. Ironically, in our world, waiting requires us to make space. To actually set aside the moment and say, I will wait. And then to see what happens. Of course, it's not a what that we are waiting for, but a who. As you see in these texts over these past few weeks and the weeks to come, there is two comings that will happen, a first coming and a second coming. The first coming of Christ that we are all so familiar with is the one that comes in a little over four weeks comes on December 25th as it comes on December 25th of every year. The baby and nativity, all the events we have stacked up around those dates, our traditions, our memories. This is the first coming of Christ. The Christ who is already here. The Christ whose tradition into which we live and whose life we proclaim. And yet, as today's text reminds us, 
there is also the second coming, entwined with the first. And this is the mystery that is yet to come. The coming of Christ that is not yet. The coming of Christ for which we wait. For which we must make the space and take the time to be prepared. Already and yet not yet. In today's gospel, we find a classic moment in scripture that has informed generations of Christians for millennia. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. For a few generations after Jesus' life, death, resurrection, there was an anticipation that he was going to come back very soon. In fact, even in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says, I will come back within the lifetime of some of you who are gathered here in the hearing in my presence. And so the early church thought Jesus was coming at any time. More recently, at the turn of the 20th century, John Nelson Darby, along with other fundamentalist Christian theologians, posited a very violent, very cataclysmic second coming in a literal interpretation of Scripture. This is a text which fundamentalists love to use because it gives us this picture of the rapture. Those of you who might be familiar with the very Hollywood version of this story, the Left Behind series, might know that the rapture is this moment in which this literally comes true. Two people are working side by side and poof, the real Christian disappears to go be with Christ because the second coming is happening. And everybody else is left behind. Rather than approach these texts with a mind towards the rapture, I invite you to a different lesson. One that is enraptured with waiting. Setting time aside for God. Leaving the toil of the field to wait. Saying in this season that the grain can grind itself. I will create time to be alone, to listen, to wait for this second coming. Isaiah invites us to go up to the mountain of the Lord. That is the invitation that I extend to you today. Let us go together to that sacred mountain to be immersed in waiting for Christ. Happy New Year. Amen.